Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice, but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special documentary project, The Search for Well-Being, is supported by the Michelle and David Middleman Family Foundation and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. It's not sufficient for me as a physician to say, it sounds like this has really been a, a horrendous week for you. My role as a physician is to say, let's figure out what I can do to make things at least a little bit better. The challenge for doctors and nurses to maintain compassion while interacting with their patients in a stressful medical system. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. When someone is feeling ill and vulnerable, the bedside manner of a doctor, the kind word of a nurse, may make all the difference. Compassion and connection can lift the patient's spirit and promote healing. Which is why physician Ronald Epstein was stunned by a case of medical insensitivity that hit home. When my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer about 10 years ago, it was a phone call from the nurse in the urologist's office uh, saying, Mr. Epstein, uh, the doctor just wanted you to know that, that your biopsy showed you have cancer. Okay. That, in my view, is unconscionable. Uh, because? Well, whereas the information is accurate, it wasn't delivered by the person who, wasn't delivered by the physician, it was a messenger, and also it was not delivered in a way in which someone could deal with the emotional impact of having uh, having that, that information delivery. Dr. Epstein is professor of family medicine at the University of Rochester Medical Center. He has carefully studied the communication dynamics between doctors and patients. When someone's health is on the line, he says, it matters to them if a doctor seems rushed or is paying more attention to the computer than to the human being sitting there. For most of us today, American health care occurs in the context of a medical bureaucracy. The health insurance industry imposes efficiency expectations on doctors and nurses, and to get paid for medical services, they must follow billing code protocols intended to facilitate accounting, but that may not always optimize care for the patient. The way that physicians are taught medicine is that we're taught lots of categories. We're taught diagnoses, and those diagnoses are really useful. But equally important is that every patient's an individual. Every patient is different, has different needs, and that may depend on a variety of things ranging from their own individual biology. And some of it has to do with their belief systems, their values, what they consider important, um, and their resources what they're capable of doing, not only financially, but also interpersonally and emotionally. 
Are you saying that the billing system as it exists and as many people follow it works against an understanding of the patient's individual characteristics? It can, if not examined critically. So we, we work in the system where we have to do this. You know, you have to bill for your services. And you also have to provide a diagnosis for a patient because that's part of practicing medicine. But that's not all there is. Practitioners of integrative medicine are intentionally approaching healthcare from a different, more person-centered perspective. They're found in small but slowly growing numbers at many leading hospitals and on the faculty of some medical schools. University of Arizona medical professor Victoria Mazes in Tucson is executive director of the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. So I always start my interviews with a new patient in the same way, and I ask them to tell me their story. And I say, we have about an hour and a half to spend together. I want to hear about your life, what's important to you, what's colored your life, who you are, as well as the medical condition that brought you in, because very few people come if they don't have some pressing medical condition. But it allows people to really begin and unpack their stories. And I tell them it's important because it allows me to give a broader set of recommendations because I begin to understand something about who they are in that body, mind, spirit way and not just here's someone with diabetes or breast cancer. Dr. Mazes structures her practice to make time for this in-depth dialogue with the patient. It allows her to peer into what's happening in the person's life, not just to hear a recitation of symptoms. Well, I'm listening for uh, things that they would call uh, major life-changing events. I'm listening to uh, the social context of their life. So what causes stress? How well do they manage stress? I'm listening to the quality of their relationships and how well supported they might be or not. I'm listening for patterns. For example, where have they successfully uh, negotiated challenging situations in the past so that I can understand something of their strengths? Not all doctors have the luxury to enter in-depth dialogues with patients. In most medical settings, financial pressures to see many patients can make that very hard. And it's not just health professionals who are affected by the clock. Mary Jo Kreitzer is professor of nursing at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, where she directs the Center for Spirituality and Healing. Somebody may go in and they may have a headache or they may sort of report sort of another symptom. But what's really gnawing at them in their life might be something very much deeper. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship. And so very often it's when the clinician is walking out the door that the patient will say, oh, but can I ask? And that's the real reason for the visit. And, that, and it's very hard to have that happen if you're talking about a five or six minute visit. So I think that's an enormous um, challenge. The second thing that, that we know what happens when you shorten visits is that physicians tend to prescribe symptomatic medicines as opposed to medicines that may more likely treat the underlying disease. Explain the difference. An example would be to prescribe a pain pill for back pain rather than trying to discover its cause. Um, and that doesn't mean getting more x-rays. It may just mean doing a physical exam. Um, or it may mean finding out more history about what happened that caused that back pain. Dr. Ronald Epstein. What's sacrificed, in my view, is thorough medicine, 
that is being thorough and complete, and also what's sacrificed is a chance to build the patient-physician relationship. And rapport between patient and doctor or nurse is central to a meaningful healing connection. Patients who are suffering need to be heard, to be understood, to feel touched by someone's compassion, that they're not facing a challenge alone. Mary Jo Kreitzer. I can tell you a, a story. I recently was in um, the Netherlands, and in the Netherlands, there is just an incredible revolution going on in terms of how home care is delivered, and it's called Butzorg Netherland, and Butzorg literally means translated neighborhood care. And one of the things that the Butzorg nurses do that is um, so amazing is that they really work hard to empower patients and give patients the skills that they have to care for themselves. And I was on a home visit and I, you know, went out with this Beardsorg nurse and it was a, a gentleman who had had laryngeal cancer and so he had a tracheostomy. Before the nurse gets there to make the home visit, he takes the appliance out, he goes to the bathroom, he totally cleans the womb so that when the nurse comes, all she has to do, and you'll see where this is going, she inspects to make sure there's no infection, she suctions if it needs a little bit of suctioning, and then they sit down and have a cup of coffee. Now, mm -hmm. what do you think the most important part of that visit is? The coffee. Absolutely, because that's when the stories come out of how they're really coping with this, you know, significant cancer. And, and hearing the story from the patient and his wife really moved me deeply because what they talked about was how this nurse had helped them gain confidence in their own skills to take care of themselves. Patients need to feel they're not helpless, even in the face of a difficult diagnosis. The human body is endowed with remarkable powers of self-healing and regeneration. We see that every time we cut ourselves and the body repairs the wound. Integrative healthcare seeks to optimize our ability to tap into this remarkable human capacity for regeneration. The aim is to stave off invasive procedures that carry added cost and potential complications. That idea of taking charge of your own health, that's a big idea. Often I'll talk to consumer groups and I'll say, who do you think is responsible for your health? And they'll say, well, my doctor or my health plan or the health system. So this idea that people, 80% of how healthy people are, has nothing to do with doctors, hospitals, drugs. It's their lifestyle. That is a huge mental shift. That's a big paradigm shift for people to really step back and say, I'm responsible. We, we've lived in a society that's very oriented towards, I don't have to take care of myself because somebody will fix me if I don't, or I'll, I'll take, take a, a pill, pill. <laughs> right? or I'll just sort of you know, go in and to the clinic. And so this is a new idea that, you know, as a society, we have individual responsibility and accountability to take charge of our own health and well-being. Which is not to suggest that patients be left on their own when in crisis. There are times when major medical intervention is absolutely critical. Dr. Ronald Epstein of the University of Rochester. If you're in a car accident and you have a fractured bone, I think that model is, is usually pretty apt. You know, you fracture your wrist, the doctor suggests an x-ray, they realign the bones if necessary, put a cast on, and you're done. And hopefully it heals up okay. But most of the illness that we have uh, in this country, in this society, in the 21st century isn't like that. Problems like diabetes or heart disease or cancer 
uh, really involve a partnership. And so the idea of coming in as a patient and say, come and fix me, uh, doesn't work uh, because it really requires kind of a dance between the physician and the patient in that, that they're kind of uh, attuned, they're hearing the same rhythm, they're kind of walking together uh, in partnership trying to solve a problem. Listening to the Search for Wellbeing, a Humankind special series. I'm David Freudberg. At our website, you can download a primer booklet describing common techniques of integrative health. You can access audio or obtain a CD copy of this program. You can also download web only excerpts of some of our interviews. For all of this, please visit humanmedia.org. I was taught to diagnose disease, treat it, cure it when I could, and when I couldn't cure it, manage it. And those things are important. It's not that those are not important, but it's one piece of a much larger picture. At the Veterans Administration in Washington, physician Tracy Gaudet directs the National Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. I guess that's government speak for treating the whole person. It's an effort to place the human being first in the VA system, which operates more than 1,700 facilities, the nation's largest health care network. One of my first patients when I was at the University of Arizona um, was the, the head of orthopedic surgery at the University of Arizona who had a back issue and his, his colleagues said, you need surgery. And he, as an orthopedic surgeon, said, the last thing I want is surgery, <laughs> right? Can you guys help me? Is there anything you can do? And so we, we said, well, you know, we're happy to work with you. So we did mind-body approaches and acupuncture, and we had an osteopath do manual manipulation with him. He avoided the surgery. So it's certainly easy to see where integrative approaches, if you can use less invasive approaches and strategies, not only are best for the patient, but can certainly save money. Dr. Gaudet comes to her work in patient-centered care not through the usual undergraduate route of hard science. Instead, she had majored in the human studies of psychology and sociology before attending medical school. She went on to head the Integrative Medicine Center at Duke University. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, so and I also had the interesting experience of being on the OR table, not standing by the OR table <laughs> a few times. And, um, and I was like, give me a couple of weeks, doc, you know, before you slice me open, can I have a couple of weeks? And, and the one surgery I had was for a mass in my throat, and thankfully it was benign, but it was going to be a pretty extensive surgery. And the ENT said, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I want to do medical hypnosis. I want to do acupuncture. I want to do that pre-op. I want to do a post-op. If it's all right, I'll have somebody in the hospital. The one immediate effect it has is it helps people be psychologically prepared before entering something as invasive as surgery, for example. And we know there is data to say people who are psychologically prepared, you know, have less stress, they heal faster, they have lower, lower blood pressure, lower pulse, they usually have less bleeding. I mean, there's good physiologic evidence to support that. And it can reduce or in some cases even eliminate the need for medications, which are not only costly, but often carry side effects. I was not a person out to make a point. You know, I was like, I think drugs are great. I'm all for drugs when I need drugs. And yet I had no, I had not one dose of pain meds post-op. Um, 
Is, that, I just, is that unusual? It was, it was for that particular kind of surgery, and um, and it was impressive enough to the surgeon that now not only does he get acupuncture on a regular basis and do medical hypnosis, but he refers all of his patients for integrative assessment and strategy pre-op and post-op if they're interested. An integrative assessment looks at a patient's lifestyle behaviors, emotional patterns, and social context toward developing a treatment plan for the whole person. Greater LA, which is our um, VA institution out in LA, piloted and now has in every um, pre-operative bedside Um, a relaxation visualization recording that veterans can use if they like. I know that when I can turn my attention away from my pain and focus on the things that bring me peace and joy, I can make it smaller. The nurses there have been trained in mind-body approaches and techniques too, so that when a veteran first calls for pain relief, they don't necessarily have to immediately go to the drug unless that's what's called for, and they have other tools and approaches to use. At the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare Facility, we visited Alan Lopez, 58 years old, a native Guatemalan who came to America at age 7. He served 16 years in the U.S. Air Force. Alan has suffered a series of medical crises, including diabetes and liver disease. Due to the, my diabetes, uh, I've been having several problems. And uh, five months after my liver transplant, um, my kidneys decided to shut down on me. So I went to dialysis for um, three and a half years till I was finally called in for my kidney transplant. So far, both uh, organs are doing great. But with complications from diabetes, Alan developed a bad infection on his right foot. This led to a trip to the emergency room, and most of the foot was later amputated. Alan then had trouble keeping his balance while walking, and doctors said he also faced the risk of further infection. So they decided to do this other amputation to make it all better. And... um, that's when I was introduced to this program with the, uh, with the music uh, to relax you and this other lady talking. And to me, it worked. Uh, it worked a lot. It relaxed me. It's, amputation is not a, a fun thing to go through. So I was having a hard time dealing with it. Alan spoke to us following surgery, a time when many patients need emotional support and may benefit from an encouraging message. It's a total change in your life, uh, you know, losing part of your body. And so you start thinking of all this stuff. Is it going to be okay? Uh, Is it going to hurt? That's what this uh, CD actually did for me. It kind of relaxed me, and they tell you how to think positive, changing negative thoughts like dying or or the surgery not being successful, into positive things like uh, I'm alive and I'm well and it's going to be better. Simple exercises that rely on affirmations, positive imagery, or prayer can be powerfully relaxing and reassuring to people who feel anxious around medical challenges. These practices are a staple of integrative health. 
Another widely used technique, also gaining acceptance at some U.S. hospitals and clinics, is the Chinese healing system of acupuncture. Growing up, uh, I was exposed uh, to acupuncture. Um, my mother, she used to uh, seek help uh, through an acupuncturist. And it always amazed, uh, amazed me the fact that my mother would go in complaining of aches and pains. However, when she came out, she would have that look of uh, relief that uh, it literally just gave me that image imprinted in my mind. Marco Sue in Baltimore is now a licensed acupuncturist on the staff at the University of Maryland's rehabilitation facility, Kernan Hospital. Around the country, millions of Americans have received acupuncture treatments. The U.S. military operates an acupuncture clinic at the Andrews Base in Maryland. Treatment involves stimulation of points on the body, usually by inserting an extremely thin needle. Numerous well-controlled studies show that acupuncture is effective in reducing a patient's pain. But many people unfamiliar with this practice express skepticism. Most of the time, yes. Uh, a lot of people, they are here um, voluntarily, but a lot of those patients, they are here because, you know, uh, they are referred by their physicians. But uh, they don't know much about acupuncture and uh, the concept of getting... Uh, stuck with a bunch of needles <laughs> for the ailments, it's, uh, it's quite exotic, and they're also fearful. So they're quite uh, uh, doubtful of the benefits. And I can say from personal experience that the insertion of an acupuncture needle by a trained acupuncture professional can literally be painless, that you literally don't feel anything going in. It can be that easy. Well, I would say that the sensation of acupuncture needle insertion would be, it would range between a little tiny mosquito bite to very rarely like a little bee sting. But most, most likely it will feel like a little mosquito bite if you feel anything at all. In your clinical experience, which conditions respond best? Well, in general, I would say pain-related issues is most, uh, most noticeable. In fact, in this country, most of uh, Acupuncture is mostly used to, uh, to treat pain. And what kinds of painful conditions? Pain, for example, uh, lower back pain, neck pain, or arthritic pains. And do you have a lot of pa patients coming in with those sorts of ailments? Yes. Yes, I do. What percentage of them are able to improve in a significant way? Maybe half, 55, mm -hmm. 60 maybe. Um, and... Are there some patients who don't respond at all to acupuncture? Well, there are always some. If they have a very severe degeneration of their discs, then uh, um, maybe it's better to just undergo through conventional therapies. Uh, it may be, they may need uh, surgical interventions. But, uh, but at the same time, a lot of times acupuncture can actually be used um, to help to prep them, pre-op and post-op, to, for example, condition them better so they can actually go under surgery healthier and then uh, help them to recover by not needing to rely so much on medication when they recover. The stressors that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be waiting in line, waiting in traffic, not 
getting what you're expecting, um, living with uncertainty, uh, having financial stress. It goes on and on. However, it is our response to what is happening that makes the difference. Nursing professor Susan Bauer-Wu studies the nature and effects of stress at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. So if we are experiencing all these stressors and we are living on a very short fuse, what's happening in our body is that it's constantly revved up. It's constantly revved up. And we've been, you know, the bodies are made to be in what's called in a state of homeostasis, which is a state of equilibrium. Balance. It's a state of balance. Exactly. That is what we, our, you know, wonderful bodies and minds have been created to, to be and to live in a way that, that's harmonious. And that gives health. And that gives health. Exactly. That helps the body to do the best it can do to maintain our sense of well-being. But getting out of balance can certainly take its toll. For example, research shows that people who are under chronic stress are more prone to catching colds. And individuals with hard-driving, competitive, impatient personalities may be more susceptible to heart attacks. It's just a a rush of these stress um, biochemicals that our body can't can't handle. The effect can be to reduce the functioning of the body's immune system, thus increasing our vulnerability to illness. The brain produces thoughts and attitudes which then register throughout our nervous system. Emotions like anxiety, fear, anger, and sadness can set off a cascade of complex reactions in the body. We process our external experience with the world, okay, through through different stimulation, whether it be through our eyes, through our ears, through our taste and smell, all the senses. But it's also the stories that we create within our minds as well. That's still happening within our minds. And we know there's you know, unequivocal research that thinking about something creates the same physiological reaction in the body as if it was actually happening. And that provides a huge opportunity for integrative health, because calm thoughts can calm the body. Research shows that meditation is associated with an array of health benefits, including reduced anxiety and diminished chronic pain, such as arthritis. Meditation involves quieting the mind through a focusing technique. Some people concentrate on the act of breathing, Others repeat an uplifting prayer. The effect is to produce an inner tranquility for both mind and body. In the last year, there have been over 400 studies that were published, scientific studies that were published with keywords of meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. And it's growing exponentially. So people so, are really looking at this. People are really looking at it, and the, and the data is extremely strong. So just as physical exercise develops muscles in our bodies and gives us endurance, so does mental training, such as meditation. It strengthens areas of our brain that can be better developed. And from my own personal experience with meditation and feeling the changes in my own body, where I felt that I was less reactive to the stressful 
experiences that came my way. I could feel the difference in my body. I felt healthier. I felt mentally clearer. Meditation researcher and practitioner Susan Bauer Wu, University of Virginia professor of nursing. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Mark Kilstein, Lisa Mullins, David McDevitt, Thomas Royal, and Kathy Graham. Medical advisor, Dr. Leo Stolbach. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Jerry Gorin, Tony Buck, Duke Integrative Medicine, and to Health Journeys for permission to use an excerpt from the relaxation CD, A Meditation to Help Ease Pain. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. And you can download our free primer booklet on integrative health at humanmedia.org. This segment, part four of The Search for Well-Being, is Humankind program number 202. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.